Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzig, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, uh, how's it going this week? You know, you were, I knew you were going to ask me that because you've asked me that for basically many, like three years now. Many, yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't really have an answer for you because this week's just been kind of a weird sort of blur. Uh-huh. Um, so fine, I guess. I don't know. It was I don't a really week. Have, it was a week. I don't think anything really of note happened. Mm-hmm. So how was your week? Well, I got a lot of work done, which is okay. good. But we haven't started the baking yet. Which is bad. <gasps> That's bad. So we're a week behind schedule. And there are many reasons for this. First of all, uh, the stuff with my sister's house is finally, like, almost done. Which is exciting. Great. I, I have a basement I would like you to finish next. <laughs> and um, But that took, you know, like, the dumpster is still there. We thought the dumpster would be gone, like, two weeks ago. So, uh, but that is now done. Almost, almost done. I'm jinxing them right now as we speak. Yep. But um, that's exciting. Uh, so, but then theoretically, we're going to spend all this week doing cookie things. And instead, I've spent all of this week doing other things. Like I spent all of last Saturday going through 30 different Christmas carols to transcribe them, make sure that they still sounded good, fix some wrong notes, and then and then, you know, make sure that they're ready to go for my studios doing a Christmas Carol thing. And then I spent all of today doing more of that. Uh, but now I, all the music is in binders, Noel, and it's uh-huh. hole punched and it's taped and it's labeled and I'm going to hand it out. And it's very exciting. Are there tabs? No, there are no tabs because we're going in order. You don't need okay. to hop around. Not oh, needed. Okay. Well, that good. was part of the task today was analyzing the difficulty level of every carol and determining what order they needed to go in so that we could start with the most challenging and end with the most straightforward so that more kids could play as we went along instead of having fewer kids play as we went along. It was a whole thing. Anyway, all of that to say, I hoped I would be getting my Christmas cookie baking shopping list together and ingredients purchased tomorrow so we could start on Monday. But it looks like... It may not happen until Sunday. It's a whole thing. I'm hopeful that by this time next week, when you ask how's it going, I will say I am up to my arms in flower. So let's all knock on wooden things and hope for the best. Well, I, if that is the case, then I hope that when you hold up your arms, you're actually covered in flower while you record. It's just butter. It's just butter everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And some, some like, like a, a very particularly placed like little puff of powdered sugar. To highlight mm-hmm. the cheekbone or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, how is TV doing? There's some news this week. Um, let's start. I don't know. Let's start with, uh, I guess this is exciting for people. Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. So Netflix has commissioned a like long gestating sort of live ad- action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. I remember when, Kate, I remember when <laughs> that this was a movie that had Keanu Reeves attached to be uh, Spike. Mm-hmm. And that's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> 
and so now they're they haven't done really any other work on this apart from hey we're gonna do this um and they're doing it and i go why why are you doing this there's no reason to do this but here we are i mean netflix has had a limited amount of success so far adapting doing live action adaptations or they think they have of um various anime properties so they've done death note they did i think they did blast um, they did uh, a Bleach adaptation, but these were all like movies, not television series. So it'll be curious to see how this functions for them and if people tune in and actually want to watch it. I'm not excited about it. Are you excited about this at all? I mean, I will be if it's good. Yeah. Uh, there's some good people attached to it. Um, Javier Griomar Swatch is, is on the writing team, so that's encouraging. Uh-huh. But yeah, um, yeah it was just like... The original is just so good. I just watched that, but yeah, I have I it on Blu-ray. I don't need it anymore. I just, I just need the Blu-ray, and I'm fine. I'm mm-hmm. fine. No, people <laughs> are very excited, and that's great. And uh, if they manage to create an awesome show, great. But yeah, I just don't like. I do, I do not get excited about it. Was animated. Now we're going to make it live action because that's somehow better or more real or more valid. Like, that's not where either of us <laughs> sits with these things. So, um, yeah, it yeah. just feels kind of weird to remake a great show. But, okay. Do you guys, I guess, media owners? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, like, harsh anyone's buzz about it. So, you know, I'm more like affected though not surprised by the cancellation of daredevil which you know i really enjoyed the most recent season so mm-hmm. we you know we said at the time the the season finale really does work well as a series finale and who knows what marvel has planned for the disney streaming site things stuff and things uh so maybe this isn't the end of daredevil but i was more i was more like oh that's a shame i mean it makes sense with everything else they've that's been happening with the the Marvel Netflix shows, but, but still that's, I was more bummed about that than I was affected in any way by the cowboy bebop. So <laughs> thing, other than being excited that, that Javi's got a, a new show. Cause yeah. I, I was very excited for his Xena reboot that, that just didn't happen. I was very mm-hmm. excited about what that could potentially be, but we'll see what happens with bebop. How about, uh, there's a new Blade Runner anime. I did not hear about this. I need you to fill me in. Right, so this was just announced this week, um, and it's being produced uh, via Adult Swim and Crunchyroll, mm. uh, which is a, as you know, is a um, anime streaming service, uh, does a lot of um, simulcasts, um, but they're involved in it, and so it'll take place in 2032, so between the original movie and then Blade Runner 2049. Um, decent cast creatives, including uh, Sinchiro Watanabe, who was the mastermind behind Cowboy Bebop and mm-hmm. Samurai Champloo, um, and who also, the guy who directed Blade Runner 2049, ripped off a number of shots from. So it feels like <laughs> just another extension of Mia Couple, but uh, Watanabe also did a Blade Runner short, um, animated short for 2049's like promotional push as well so he's been sort of involved in this um mostly i was just like why is crunchyroll doing this and then kate i remembered media synergy because crunchyroll is owned by a 
a random media company that is owned by Otter Media, which is owned by AT&T, which now owns Time Warner for ah. the War, War, Warner Media Group, as it is now known. And so I just went, oh, that's right. That is a thing. Media, 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 Kate, media. Conglomerates. Media conglomerates. Yeah, it, it sucks. Um, so, I mean, I'm vaguely interested in this um, because I like that world. I like that universe. I didn't love Blade Runner 2049, but I'm still interested in this as like a concept. And if anything lends itself to being an anime, it's a franchise that basically turned into a live action anime for its most recent installment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Do you have any thoughts or feels about this? Um, I, you know, it is a very rich world. If you were going to think of different shows or different films that could become shows. Yeah. There is definitely a universe here that can be fleshed out or, or, and centered to, to make a separate, you know, related, but, you know, spinoff on, you know, related, but unrelated show. Um, so that, that makes sense. I don't really care about it. Um, but I, you know, we I was just singing the praises of Cowboy Bebop, so clearly I'm a big fan of that. And I look forward, you know, I, I'm going to check it out. I look forward to seeing what the creator of Cowboy Bebop has to say about Blade Runner. So that's interesting. And I've learned not to count Adult Swim out. So Yeah, which is a fair thing to do. That's where I'm at with it. I'm not super excited, but I'm not like, this is sacred ground that must be tread upon so very carefully. Um so I know that the people do feel that way. Um, it's just I'm not one of them. So we'll see. Yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in sadder news, unfortunately, the the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants uh, passed away this week. Um, he had uh, been fighting ALS. He, is, he was diagnosed with ALS and, and um, did succumb to that. You know, I didn't know that. So when I see Steven Hillenberg passed away at 57, I was very surprised and then it's like oh oh, okay that yeah that is unfortunately that's something that makes sense so uh i don't like i remember first watching spongebob because my sister really liked it we didn't have cable for the longest time growing up so right we eventually you know watch it later she can do an insane spongebob laugh like it's annoyingly good (laughs) and i don't think that they had a sense even could have had a sense of the juggernaut it would become it is still going which is absolutely crazy um but but lovely and wonderful and i think it's been a good thing in the world so that's good yeah this was something i never latched on to um hillenberg also worked on rocco's modern life uh which is something i did watch a little bit of um but my sister really loves spongebob and i think it's difficult to overstate sort of the impact that spongebob has had on popular culture Mm -hmm. i mean they did like more than 200 episodes two movies a broadway musical like this it was like you said a cultural juggernaut so i think it's pretty i think it's pretty significant in terms of that landscape and he definitely contributed a lot to popular culture even if it wasn't necessarily something i directly engaged in yeah definitely and our last bit of news is another one that i i saw a little bit about but i haven't had a chance to read up on so i'm hoping you're more informed than i am but the wb is investigating claims against Celine mckeel who is the showrunner of black lightning around domestic violence claims by uh, someone who's alleging to be his girlfriend he is also married um and there's also a lawsuit about copyright infringement towards him so obviously those are both bad things. I'm much more concerned about the domestic violence, personally. Um, 
but yeah, do you know more than that? That's all I know. Right. So, uh, actress and writer by the name of Amber Dixon Brenner um, has has said that he, she, and Akil have had a long term affair, and so that he's abused her um, violently, forced her to perform um, oral sex, um, and that that's what's being alleged uh, regarding the abuse. The federal, the copyright infringement lawsuit um, uh, is regarding Love Is, which is a show that he has on OWN. Yeah. And that he has lifted a number of ideas from a uh, script that she had written that was based on her relationship with him. Um, Interesting. Right. So there's a, there's a number of layers happening here, but like you said, like the WB's concern is primarily with the domestic violence allegations. So they've launched an investigation, um, interviewing cast and crews, um, of um what you call it black lightning but also apparently like cast and crew of uh love is also being interviewed regarding mm-hmm. uh there's their feeling of safety um in regards to that behavior um but that's about the extent of what is going on right now um he hasn't been removed in any way that i think has been reported by at least like the hollywood reporter which is the article i'm looking at right now so yeah that's that's not fun yay another alleged rapist in charge of a show awesome yeah okay well we will follow this as it develops uh and you know we're going to be talking about black lightning in a little bit black lightning is a terrific show yeah that does it it. it's great (laughs) and also its showrunner is accused of raping his girlfriend and other forms of uh, abuse as well. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Yay! We'll have fun parsing the art and the artists when we get to that portion of our week in TV. But we also will be talking at the end of the show about my brilliant friend. The first four episodes. Is it of six or of eight? Eight, I think. Because uh, they're doing... This is technically a 32-part miniseries. Because <laughs> uh, they're doing eight episodes per each book in this uh, Neapolitan uh, novels. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so more yeah. on that. The the Italian language uh, series that's a uh, co-production of HBO and Sky, I want to say, or BBC? Uh, I don't know if they're involved in it. I just know that, like, there are two, like, Italian networks involved. Okay. Um. So, Tim Vision and RAI. Okay. Um, so, we will talk about the first half of the first book or season of my brilliant friend at the end of the show. <laughs> but until then, let's listen to a little music and we'll be right back with our week in TV. And as the moon rises, he sits by his fire Thinking about women and glasses of beer And closing his eyes as the doggies retire He sings out a song which is soft but it's clear as if maybe someone could hear You got this, Dad Good night, you moonlight ladies rock by sweet baby Jays Deep greens and blues are the colors I choose Won't you let me go down in my dreams and a rock by sweet baby James. 
That's some uh, J- James Taylor, for courtesy of Biff. That is some James <laughs> from Taylor. this week's <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> Tender is the name. We're not talking about that one this week, um, though. It was just delightful. It was so good because mm-hmm. we don't have anything new to say. We've been just praising it a lot recently, and we'll come up with new ways to praise it hopefully later in the season but for now we're going to focus on the rest of our week in tv and that's kicking things off with liam remini scientology and the aftermath which had its season premiere star witness then noel checked out goodies reloaded which i have many questions about i yes we'll get to that that in a little bit um then murphy brown beat the press black lightning the book of blood chapter three the sanjay and we'll round things out with doctor who the witch finder so first up is scientology in the aftermath which had its premiere uh i was surprised when i saw that you watched this because i you know we've talked about this i know you said that you might check it out um so this premiere was very like it was it was surprising to me that you watched this one or, or interesting because this premiere is all about the the story of one of, you know, the people who was a uh, assistant to David Miscavige's wife, Shelley Miscavige, for people who don't, you aren't in on the know with Scientology stuff. Uh, Miscavige is in charge. He's the, like the Pope basically of Scientology and his wife who ha- there was a bit of a power struggle with has not been seen in public or by anyone since 2006. So this woman that is at the center of this premiere episode was her assistant for a while, was in Scientology a long time and escaped literally um, before breaking with the church. And so this episode assumes, you know, a lot of stuff already. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck is Sea Org, Kate? Yeah. I don't know. Why is there a cruise ship on the poster? The hell is going so, on here? Okay, do you so so Sea Org is basically and also may I suggest listeners, if you're looking for another podcast, there's a fabulous podcast called Behind the Bastards, um, which just follows different bastards throughout history uh and tells you about them. And there's a three part episode or three episode like arc on uh Elron Hubbard that I highly recommend. So, uh, and it doesn't okay. even follow his whole life. It just is part of it. But one of the episodes is all about how he's obsessed with being a captain of a boat. And so he made his own Navy and it's called the Sea Org. And yeah. <sighs> yeah. Culture and lots bad. of, uh, lots of alleged <laughs> abuse, violence, uh, just like throwing people off the boat into the ocean. Hope they are good yeah. swimmers. Um, all sorts of crazy shit and, uh, you know, scrubbing a deck with a toothbrush all day kind of stuff from age six. This, by the way, is allegedly why Katie Holmes took Surrey and ran when she was about to turn six because Tom Cruise was, again, allegedly planning to sign her up for Sea Org at age six. Um, and that's why she fled with her daughter to a very specific yeah. state so she could get custody. And, like, Sea Org's supposed to be, like, a, like an elite of elite or, like, a training level, sort of, for elite potential elites is what I sort of glean from this It's like episode. they're Marines, sort of. You know, okay. as far as sure. intensity goes. I mean, when you sign a billion-year contract, when you join it, you, you yeah. make 17 cents an hour or something like that. Um, you are living in just very horrible conditions so part of how they get you to buy into that is by convincing you you're the best of the best the toughest of the tough so yeah so if you didn't know gotcha. anything about sea org i imagine this was a bit of a uh 
unusual episode to start with. So what was your experience watching Star It's a bit of a Star deep Witness. dive, if you will. <laughs> yeah, very nice. I see what you did there. Very nice. Yeah. Um, no, it was fine. Um, I mean, it wasn't that much of a barrier because once once uh, the woman gets back to land and is in, what is it, the gold gold room? Gold base. Gold base, thank you. Um, that stuff I was like vaguely familiar enough with that I was just like, oh, right, no, I'm on, I'm, I'm with you here. Um, so I guess my question is, are all the episodes sort of like centered around like one person or is it more like deconstructed? Because this was basically kind of just fine to me. It was really interesting, but it was also just like, I don't know how this is a show as opposed to just a special. Well, it, (laughs) it depends. So um, the first, because yeah. they're on season three now. So the first yeah. season um, has a, different kinds of things. Uh, and the second season yeah. kind of goes a little more in depth with the stuff in the first season. So some episodes are centered just around one or two people's stories. Um, but usually mm-hmm. it's more like themed around a topic. So there's like an episode right. about yeah. um, like the ways that they take all your money and there's an episode about physical abuse and there's an episode about sexual abuse and there's an episode about the crazy shit they get you to believe about like families and how again allegedly allegedly um that there's no such thing every person just reincarnates over and over again so that's not really your mom that's not really your daughter so you know you shouldn't have any actual connection to them the more important thing is a connection to the church it's all right and so over the course of the first season they kind of go through some of the, the the basics if you know like going clear and some of the other exposés that have been out there just more in depth and then the second season they have some different people on the first season especially you have a lot more familiar faces uh because it's people who felt comfortable doing this show um and so they're people who had already been outspoken like faces of criticism towards scientology um but yeah so there's like an episode about their production their their movie production studios and like the crazy videos they make like that yeah. kind of a thing and then in the second season uh, there's some of that um but then there's also just there's some really nuts and bolts kind of episodes where they're like okay so we've talked a lot about the bridge that you go on here's a here's the bridge here's the paperwork about the bridge and let's talk about it and now let's talk about what like the there's an episode all about like how much each part of it costs and like talking about all these different things so so it is not usually just like one person's right. interview the way that this one is um though there have been episodes that are similar usually more around a theme right right well and i wonder if like this is sort of a purposeful way to kick things off in part because of her closeness to um very high-ranking members within the church but also the fact that this this episode's preceded by um the sort of like prelude special about remini that that discusses remini and what's his name michael render thank you um and like has their has their family on and i'm wondering if like it's supposed to be thematically paired with that um since like this is a very sort of like how the family is discussing like exiting and then we you kick off the season with this woman's literal like drive away from the church in a trunk of a car um and how that all functioned and so in that regard i think that there's a thematic pair but it's also just this is very much sort of like a reward of sorts for longtime <laughs> viewers 
Um, and not a terribly great way to jump in, but it's still an interesting sort of narrative. But it also, like you said, assumes that you've been doing it assumes you've done all the reading <laughs> it assumes you're like versant conversant with like the terminology and uh-huh. the other things yeah if people are interested in this i would recommend starting out with the first season or with the second season either way you can jump in um because obviously i think it's very compelling i've talked about it a bunch on the show but um uh, also because like like the the shelly where is shelly miscavige is yeah. like a big thing yes for people who know about scientology but for people who don't know about Scientology, it's like, okay, there's a missing person. Um, but that was like a, for example, that was a big thing that pushed Leah Remini towards asking more questions, asking them publicly, and eventually leaving the church. Uh-huh. Was this thing about asking about not seeing Shelley Miscavige at Tom Cruise's wedding to Katie Holmes, I think. Um, so like, so that like, I was like, oh, they're doing a thing with the assistant to Shelley. Oh, okay, that's really interesting. Like, but. If you don't know all this backstory. Yeah, and I know, like, some of that backstory. Yeah. It's still, like, a very, like, a compelling story, but it doesn't have all the other stuff that goes with. Right. And, I mean, like, the Skelly Miscavige thing is, like, has been parried a number of times. Like, most recently, Brooklyn Nine-Nine with the Boom Boom Nutrisystem. Um, Yeah. Thing of, like, no one's seen her in, like, 20 years. And, no, I'm just pretending. I've been around this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) boom boom um (laughs) yeah so yeah no i think it's a like it's it's interesting and like i learned a good bit but it's also like it was not what i was expecting based on what you've told me Mm -hmm. um so i was just like okay this is fine it's it's, again it's interesting but it's also just like this is not what i was expecting based on what kate has discussed (laughs) yes yes interesting okay well do you think you're gonna watch any more are you gonna maybe go back at some point and watch some early seasons or be like yeah i think i'm good if i have time i may go back and rewatch some and if they're easily available on demand i may um Mm -hmm. but i will probably do that before i watch anything else from this season (laughs) Yeah. Well, you could also, if you're curious, check out the, the Jehovah's Witness special, because that's intended very much as a standalone. Right. Okay. But that's also a different kind of thing. Yeah. Apparently, they're looking into the the Mormon church as well. So we'll see if they do a special on them. More, more on this if there becomes more to discuss about it, I guess. Let's move on. Talk to me about Good Eats Reloaded. Now, this is... Alton Brown going back and revisiting some old episodes of Good Eats and, like, fixing them or something? What what is this? No, that's exactly what it is. It's sort of, my person described it as sort of a, um, uh, uh, like, a special edition of Good Eats slash a pop-up video of Good Eats. Um, (laughs) uh, pop-up video for you youngsters um, Mm -hmm. was a very popular VH1, um, series in which they played music music videos, but then, like, in little pop-ups gave you bits of trivia about the music video while it was playing. So it was a huge thing for like a hot second um, back in the early aughts, late 90s. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this is about 13 episodes, sort of a amuse-bouche almost in terms of waiting for new Good Eats episodes, which are in production and coming to our eyeballs very soon. Um, which is just crazy, but awesome. Yeah. And so it's exactly what you said in that he goes back to old episodes, particularly from like the first three seasons and goes, I was wrong about a number of things. (laughs) Very wrong. Or 
I do things very differently now, and I would like to tell you how to do them, how I do them now, sort of thing. And so he does, like, his Grits episode, he does, like, the Christmas cookie episode, he does the Southern Biscuit episode, um, the noodle episode with pasta, a bunch of, bunch of, like, stuff from, like, the early going, uh, the cheese episode with the fondue, um, plus his grilled cheese, which he's just like, I have not changed this recipe basically at all. It's still perfect. I've changed (laughs) this one thing, but that's it. Um... So sometimes it's like really very minimal sorts of changes. Um, other times there are like really significant changes. Um, like the Christmas cookie episode, he's just like, yeah, I don't make cookies like this anymore. I also just make gluten-free cookies now. And here's how I do that. And just like launches into it. It's really interesting. And he's also just like, I also don't use royal icing anymore because it's way too sweet. Here's how to do this, et cetera, et cetera. But he also like, so interspersed between the clips of the old show which is really entertaining because sometimes he'll pause it and like walk into the frame basically current day alton and go what a putz (laughs) (laughs) um so they'll do that kind of a thing but i think it's really good and that they that he decided to take the time to do this because this is probably something that had been kind of gnawing at him knowing his like general public persona of like yeah no i screwed up a whole bunch and i shouldn't i i I was wrong about how much water you need to boil pasta also you should be boiling pasta this cold cold water way um and all this kind of stuff so it's really good it's really entertaining to watch um the old episodes especially in a widescreen format kate (laughs) <laughs> since they're done they were originally aired in a four by four four to three ratio and so there are a number of times especially in the pasta in the in the cheese episode where <laughs> you see the folks holding the backdrop <laughs> for the uh rustic italian uh backdrop and you just see the guys trying to hold it in place which is not something that would have been in the shot originally. <laughs> and then there's another shot where you see a little bit of like uh, lens blockage to prevent like a lens flare from happening. And Alden Brown actually like comes into the frame and goes, so when we originally shot this, you would not have seen this, but this is here, but you're seeing it now type of thing. So it's really delightful. Um, anyway, so these are have all been on the cooking channel. It's about 13 episodes. I'd encourage you to seek them out if you have the cooking channel. It's still very entertaining. And the new cooking segments are all done in, based on what my person told me, in sort of a YouTube style of, um, it's all from a top-down perspective of a camera basically looking down, especially when he's cooking at an oven. And he uses a mirror to, like, talk to the camera in these instances. Um, and it's really interesting and I really like the aesthetic of it. And I'm curious if that ends up carrying over to the new series or if this was something that was done for the reloaded specifically because it's quick and easy and doesn't require like a super amount of setup as you know, and I know, cause I actually came on to talk about Good Eats before I hosted, uh, joined mm-hmm. you as a co-host in that Good Eats has a lot of setup for a lot of things. And so this does not have that as much. So if you have a cooking channel, seek this out, especially if you're a fan of Alton Brown and if you're sort of chomping at the bit for new Good Eats episode, this will kind of satiate, uh, say, 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 satiate or sate. Either yeah. way is good. Yeah. Either, I think either way is correct. Your, your need for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will definitely check that out, particularly the Christmas cookie episode. Uh, see earlier 
you know, lengthy discussion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now let's move on to Murphy Brown beat the press. So I've not been watching this. Apparently, Murphy Brown's on the renewal bubble. Yeah, which is which interesting. Isn't surprising. <laughs> yeah, sounds that's surprising. Um, what did you think of this episode? Right. So the main reason I brought this up is that Frank Fontana goes to a rally and gets beaten up. Um, after you know their Trump thing calls him Fib and Frank Frank Montana. Um, and mm-hmm. does his whole um whatchamacallit, his whole fake fake news, liars, enemy of the people's um riff that he does at rallies. And so Frank gets beaten up. And like seriously beaten up. Like we don't see it happen, but in the episode he's in the hospital, he's got a number of broken ribs, his eyes swollen shut, his ar- his arms in a sling by the end of the episode after he's discharged, basically he's got really beaten up and then avery goes basically to the (sighs) kooky cafe where not a not a super subtle reference to the um red door red red robin cafe or whatever it was that kicked sarah huckabee sanders um, oh the red hen red hen yes thank you um over the summer and so and then he gets beaten up by folks when he's asking them about why they attacked a member of the press for doing their job, et cetera, et cetera. And so the reason I bring this up is, A, the episode really can't do or say anything really compelling about this. B, the result of the dramatized result and the payoff that this show really wants to drive home is that Murphy, in an interview with a official from HUD, which is the Housing and Urban Development um, um, housing and urban planning, urban development, um, uh, cabinet agency. Jesus, I can't talk today. Um, it's all good. <laughs> um, holds back on a question basically about an increase in homelessness under the Trump administration. And the officials thing is people like living off the grid now because life is too complicated. And this is very parodied. Hurts my brain. <laughs> Her, yeah, no. And it hurts Murphy's brain. But then she pulls back because she doesn't want to anger the mob quote unquote and like keeps herself safe and so there's the the implication is that this is what happens when you declare the press the enemy of the people is that they don't do their jobs and it's that's the extent of what this episode can do and say and there's a joke about the fact that when murphy makes a joke about macron and i forget whom someone else and trump like meeting together and murphy's like that could make a good movie maybe two men and a baby and the the main like production guy comes out after the episode after the episode of the show within the show wraps and goes, well, we just lost our last Republican viewer. And it's sort of like the implication about the show in a large regard is like, who's, who's talking, who are the, who's the show talking to basically? And what's the message that they're trying to get out? And it very much feels like they're preaching to a choir at this point. Um, Diane English gave a number of interviews after this episode aired or in the lead up to this episode. And basically just like, I don't really care who we're reaching. I just want this out there and that's that's fine but there's also not like a strong enough like commentary or pointed enough commentary about it. It's very it's very it's played overly straight in a way that just and earnest in a way that just doesn't register in a lot of ways for me or in a compelling way juxtaposed to something like the good fight where even at its weirdest it finds a way to dramatize the experience of like living in the moment that makes more sense to me than what Murphy Brown is doing. Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't, 
by, I mean, not having watched the episode. Uh-huh. Let's be very clear and very fair. I haven't watched the episode. However, I don't buy Murphy pulling back on that question and that answer because it is just so stupid. Yeah. So it just, it, it, and it just seems like um, it's going for safe and easy points. Yeah, it is. Uh, and if you're going to not care if you, you know, turn off half of your audience, then at least do that with, by making a, a bold point and by, by standing, uh, you know, like making it, making a philosophical or political po- like message or, you know, like coming down definitively with your, what your characters think and what your show thinks. And also, can we stop just making the notion of someone being gay be the punchline? Yeah. That every whole time? segment was also really rough. Yeah. It's like, ugh, I was so hoping you were going to say the producer came forward and said, oh, uh, that's what's so funny about, about a gay person being a world leader, you know? Like about oh yeah, but then they didn't, <laughs> so they did that. So ugh, that's disappointing. Yeah, so it's, it's still operating really, very much in that vein that it was operating in, like when it started. Of like, we're going to do these not super topical, sort of like rip from the headlines type stuff, and sort of extrapolate them, but also not do them in what feels like a really toothsome way or a way that really pushes, like you said, makes a bold sort of statement. And I think that the sense of like a quiet boldness is what they're going for, like a dignified above the fray sort of boldness. But that's, we're two years in. As this episode acknowledges, the dignified boldness is not something that works anymore, even in a media landscape. So it's it wasn't, yeah. that's the main reason I want to highlight is that it wanted to say something and didn't. I think it only has like three episodes left this season. And um, I'm just sort of like, I don't know why this was bought back. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's disappointing. (sighs) Well, not disappointing was this episode of Black Lightning, the Book of Blood, Chapter 3, the Sanjay. Um, I don't know. I I have a feeling there's going to be another shoe that drops with the Sanjay and the Purdy because it's too awesome a concept in like too rich, richly fleshed out a world to have three episodes about and then move on from. But I got to say, I was super digging just like black lightning, just like walking in and beating everybody up me like, hello, little baby. Oh, did the bad people take you? We're going to take you home. They weren't very nice. It was just, just as good as the ads made it seem. It was delightful. I also, I, I was not expecting that villain to, I, like, I guess, who knows? She might not be dead. Seems like she's dead, but maybe she's not dead. To, to, to get off and get, like, just that part of the, of the South, South Freeland, you know, that corner just blocked back off. And now we're back to our regular dynamic. And I did not anticipate that. Um, I thought that was really fun. It was a fun diversion there for a few episodes. And I hope they go back to South Freeland. I do too. And I think that one of the things that Black Lightning is doing, especially even more more clearly this season, is that it's doing what all of these superhero shows should be doing. And what S.H.I.E.L.D. has started, has done fairly successfully is doing short little mini arcs. Like we have a little sojourn to South Freelands for a two-parter basically. And it's good. It's a nice break from the Tobias stuff, um, such as it is. And then we just get a little bit of world building, but we also get this really 
interesting sort of, no, there are other kids like Jefferson that grew up and are now doing things with their abilities. Um, so like you said, there's definitely more shoes to drop based just on that. But just this idea that we can take two weeks off and go do this, I think is really, really good. And like you said, it's also just a really funny episode. Like the whole thing with Jefferson with the baby, but also just like, oh, you poor Hicks. <laughs> Trying to electric. I like that. Why do you assume I'm racist? Yeah. Nice flag. Yeah. There's that. Uh, there's... Maybe the maybe the giant Confederate flag was just a little pointer, a little tip. It's heritage. <laughs> um, and then just the fact that oh, we're just gonna fry him until he dies, and it's just like oh, sweet babies, sweet oh, so... sweet babies. Oh, bless your heart. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how any of this works. Um. So I think it was just like they were clearly having a lot of fun. They had a really good concept, I think. And they created um they create the other nice thing is that they created a villain a type of power that worked really well against both um both both sets of powers, whether it's the thunder power or the lightning power. And that was also something that was really important. Um so I liked I I really appreciated that. Um, how are you feeling about the other, like, corners of the show so far? I like that they did not stretch out Jefferson figuring out <laughs> that Gamby's alive. Yeah, no, that was nice. Yeah, that was He's nice. He's, like, immediately figured it out. He's like, yep, okay, well, I've seen this one thing, and that's all I need to know. Yeah. Uh, which was nice and, and unexpected, but, but well, well, I think well handled. Uh, I, I don't care about Khalil. <sighs> I think the actors are selling that pretty yeah. well. Um, it's just not but, going like, anywhere. It's just like they're driving off into the sunset. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not. It's not working. And I'm glad it's finally going somewhere, but it's been like dragged out way too long. Yeah, I like the idea that she's actually way more powerful than yeah. anyone else. Yeah, and that I do too. will. You know, I think the, I think the that character, the like the coach kind mm-hmm. of character, the therapist character, has been really neat, and yeah. I like what we get with her here. So I'm excited about what that may mean. Yeah. Um, I'm not very excited for the next episode based on at least the promo. I don't really need a bunch of you know blaming for her running off. Yeah, like everybody mad about it. Like she's doing a stupid. You know, stupid thing. She, she's running off to be with her forbidden love boyfriend because no one understands them. I mean, it's 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 very teenager. Yeah, so it's, it's appropriate. super teenager. And that's all it is. It is not anybody's fault. It is a dumb choice. So, yeah, uh, not looking forward to that one too much. But I did enjoy this episode. And, uh, yeah, I don't like and just having not coming up with some stupid reason why they left the mask on or the suit on Jefferson because they wouldn't. Yeah. And these, these shows just go out of their way to make to like not reveal who people are because of, you know, very like just like they don't want characters to know who Jefferson is. But they wouldn't know who Jefferson Pierce is. No, they have no absolutely reason. no reason. So he's just a guy. And and they're, they're, so there's no reason that they can't find out and then have it, it won't break the show. And so because it won't break the show, they don't have to try to bend over backwards to come up with some asinine reason why they wouldn't just take his suit off. Um, so, yeah, there's just little things like that that I, you know, thought really worked and made this a, a fun episode. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, and I do feel like I don't need them blaming, playing a blame game either. So we'll see how next week yeah. goes. 
We will. Uh, also, as far as uh, fun episodes go, uh, we had to talk about Doctor Who and the Witchfinders because I had so much fun with this episode. I freaking loved this episode, and a lot of it was Alan Cumming, but it wasn't only Alan Cumming. But let's start with Alan Cumming. What did you think of Doctor Who and his King James? It's so good. It's so good and pure, Kate. Uh, it's just so. It's just so amazing. Like I started watching the episode. And I was I was digging it, and then he showed up, and I was like, "Oh, oh, next level! They found another level, and I like it." Right, and I mean, like, it's like, "Oh, you guys got you guys got Siobhan Finneran. That's great. She's perfect for this kind of a role. Like, yeah, perfect. Just like immediately, like you said, it's just like Becca makes sense immediately, mm-hmm. and also she is introduced in that kick-ass outfit." But <laughs> makes sense immediately. <laughs> but then it's just like, here's Alan Cumming just chewing all of the scenery in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's so delightful. And you can just tell that he walked in and went, can I hit on Ryan? And his, the, the writers <laughs> were just like, yes, do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. People, historians differ, some of them, about uh, King James's uh, sexual sexuality sexual preferences mm-hmm. uh but there he's at least many believe him to at least have been bisexual okay though other people feel like that is overstating you know his he had his he had his young favorites at court sure shall we say also i've read one place that he had an entire castle built so he could you know knock about with one of his uh you know one of his love interests yeah. uh but yeah that was delightful and you know the best thing about it, about it for me uh was like marrying that level of camp and silliness and ridiculousness into this otherwise very dark and yes. creepy episode. Yes. But also not having any problem with, yes, he's, oh, he's so fun. Yeah. But he's also fucking terrible. Yes. He's, he's just bad. He's a bad person, yeah. but he's also super fun and funny. And, uh, we need more of this, please. Right. No, it's basically just like, I kind of need King James to be a fourth companion on this show. I think. Um, yeah, you're not doing yeah, instinct would, anymore, yeah. Alan. Just come on. <laughs> <laughs> We're all so much better off for it too. Because, oof, yeah. Um, any other thoughts about this episode? Like those mud people were creepy. No, the, the morax. That's right. The yeah. morax was really. Good. I meant more. The, oh, like the, the mud zombies. The bodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those. Were, but yes, them too. Yeah. No, all, I think I think the episode is just generally probably their best. Um, mm-hmm. overall, like, I, I don't have as many, like, quibbles as I, like, had with the Rosa episode, um, mm-hmm. or the Demons of, um, Punjab episode. Um, and I think that, but the fact of the matter is, I think that this show just needs to stop doing alternating, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing a future alien outer space episode and just strict, stick to doing the straight historicals because they kill the historicals. They're crushing it they, on all of them. Yeah, right? yeah, they crush the historicals. And I think that there's yeah. just, they just have a really keen understanding of like tone for them, which I think is really significant. And it also, I think it also results in like the companions feeling more out of place in a lot of ways of like, this is a this is us, but this is what we're used to, but not what we're used to type of thing, as opposed to this is all new and I don't understand any of it type of thing, which they haven't leaned on like super heavily. But mm-hmm. I think that the sense of being out of place in a familiar setting type of thing 
adds a like another layer of drama or another layer of character interactions that I really really like that comes through much more in this in the historical based episodes than in the science fictiony I don't know how future episodes futuristy alien invasion of Earth type of episodes um, yeah present day Earth type of episodes so i just think they're really good and i think that this episode in particular is just really strong i liked um the doctor's exchange with james when they're like sort of attempting to trade insights about one another and then james just kind of like gut punches just a little bit which i really Mm -hmm. liked um and then i think like my only other note about this episode is i love graham's dedication to that hat kate (laughs) just he kept it on for so long and there was yeah. no reason for it. But he did. And it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I like waiting until this episode, wait until episode eight to really hit the patriarchy. Yeah. I thought worked so well. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I assume you're in charge. Grab's like, what? Wait, really? Are we doing, we're doing, oh God. Um, sure. I guess. Huh. It was. It was just. It, mm-hmm. I thought they played it just right. I like you said. I, I really enjoyed the the doctor's exchange with James. I thought that the material with James and also with Becca uh, was some of the best stuff we've gotten for this doctor and yes. the most uh, indicative of who she is versus all the various other iterations of the character. Right. Um. So. So it was. I mean, some of that is because you have really terrific scene partners. Yeah. Or Jodie Whittaker, but it's also just they finally let her just have that, and then we get the little like <laughs> spend a very wet and very <laughs> restrained <laughs> weekend with Houdini. It's like no, I just swam. I I can swim. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, I thought that the 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 balance of the high stakes and low stakes and some really good character stuff. I felt like I really knew um, that that. Um, Twistin. Uh, I don't remember her first name, but I remember her last name was Twistin, which tells you that I was connecting with that character. It's, a, it's also such a perfect name for like a witch hunt episode. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so I really, again, I've, I'm super on board with the season. We mentioned last time that they're not doing a Christmas episode. I think I didn't know at the time they are doing a New Year's episode. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Ooh. Yeah, interesting. the doctor's got a sweet new scarf. <gasps> Like you have to go, you have to go look. You have to okay, go look I'll have to go look because I have, to, I have questions about like what style the scarf is in. <laughs> yeah, no, it, there's it's like it's like um somewhat in the rainbow stripe kind of thing of the shirts. Okay, or the the piping on the, the like the the oh, what's the term? Yeah, the suspenders, but on the coat, that's like um. Don't worry about it. Okay. I, there's, I'm going to ask my mom after after we finish this. I'm going to call her up and, and say, what is the, the, the thing that you put over so you don't have the freight and you, the, the thing? And she'll tell me what it is and I'll feel like an idiot. Um. Anyways, uh, yeah, so it looks fabulous and I look forward to seeing it at Comic-Con amongst other cosplay tweaks. So um, on that note, what wins your weekend TV? Uh, well, we mentioned Tender is the Nate and it was of uh, Legends Tomorrow and it was a very good episode. Uh, we used it for the mm-hmm. music, and it was a lot of fun. I have to mention, they did you see their band in the background of that 20s bar scene? Uh, I didn't pay like a super amount of close attention to it, mainly because I was just like, why does Mick wear the same boxy suit in every time period, but yet he fits in in every time period with that boxy suit? So no, tell me about the band. I was just so excited because they had a violinist, okay. and clearly the person who actually was in the background who you couldn't hear, yeah, you know, but you could see, actually knew how to play the violin. Oh, oh well, so they see, took I wouldn't have picked the, up on that energy. anyway. 
to like actually find an extra who can play a violin mm-hmm. or like brought in a musician or somebody was visiting the slot. They're like, oh, perfect. We can throw you in the back, yeah. you know, kind of a thing. Like, I was so excited. I was like, oh, they've got a, okay. Cause I could hear it in the score. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then I was like, wait a second. They actually look at that hand position. They're up in third position. And I think they might even be playing the same thing, just a little out of, you know, not quite synced up. You know, you shouldn't expect them to be synced up in that kind of a scene. But like, look at that. Way to go. Not necessary. But I loved it. Yeah. So I'm glad. I also appreciated just like, I'm like, like, oh, we're gonna like, like the the costuming for for Sarah was like so perfect. Oh, oh it hurt! It was so good. <laughs> the all the stuff with Hemingway, so fun. Uh, yeah, no, it was a fun episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think Witchfinder's one's my week in TV. What about you? Yeah, it's like so close. I like them both a lot. I also really like Black Lightning. I also, you know, there are plenty of other things that I was watching this week that were fun as well. But yeah, I got to give it to Witchfinders. And that's just all Alan Cumming. I mean, everybody was terrific. Don't mm-hmm. around. We love Jodie Whittaker. But the, Alan Cumming was yeah. terrific and lived up to that little shot of him that was in the This Season On trailer. Yeah. So very excited. I, I don't expect the last two episodes of the season to, to be quite the, you know, the, the melange of fabulousness that this episode was, but I certainly am grateful we got that. We, that we got that episode. Now we will take a break and listen to a trailer and come back to discuss uh, the first four episodes of the HBO series, My Brilliant Friend. We'll be back right after this. Lei era cattiva sempre. Faceva sempre le cose che dovevo fare io. Prima e meglio di me. E vostra figlia è brava così in tutte le altre materie. Ma non ha da studiare, ha da tavolo deciso. Pensai al rione come a una voragine dalla quale era illusorio tentare di uscire. Volimmo restare sempre così o volimmo cagnare? Lì è difficile, non per te. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsley, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week we are diving in with the first four episodes of HBO's miniseries or multiple. They're adapting a series of books. And this is the first half of the first book. Uh, it's called My Brilliant Friend. It's an Italian-American co-production. And the whole thing is in Italian. It's the first foreign language 
series for HBO that they're airing in America, as opposed to like Miss Sherlock, which was on HBO Japan, right? Um, this is actually on HBO. And we decided to spotlight this so that we would get off our butts and actually watch it. And uh, that, unfortunately, is sort of where I'm at with it. Uh, there was a reason I wasn't super, like, I was dragging my feet to watch it. And I think by the time we got to the end of the fourth episode, I was finally starting to, to be engaged. And I'm curious your experience. Um, I had a big, one singular big issue with the first, like, three episodes, and it's still there, really. But the first three and a half episodes, all, I had this one problem that kept coming back to me, um. But before I tell, say what it is, I want to know what you thought of this. And if you had a stronger connection to it, I hope you did, because otherwise this is going to be a short segment. Well, um, no, I didn't have a particularly strong reaction to this. Um, well, um, so for a little bit more context, um, this is based on a novel of the same name by a um, author named, well, author that goes under the pen name Elena Ferrante. Um, uh, no one knows the identity of this Italian author. Um, and it's adapted, like I said, from the top of the Neapolitan novels, which are uh, her most famous novels. And there's four of these that chronicle the lives of um, Elena Greco and uh, Raffaella uh, Corello. Uh, across basically from the 1950s to roughly um, the 1970s slash the current day, basically. Um, and so... A lot of what I'm watching in this, um, and the reason why I never really got fully engaged in it, with, really until the fourth episode, similar to what you're describing, um, and I don't know if it's because of the same reason, is that while I'm watching it, it feels very much like the type of prestige modern literature about just the most recent past sort of thing that I don't enjoy. Um, it's very, it's very well, well made slash well written. It's very, it feels very lived in, but at the same time, I always read stories, um, like this in this vein. Um, I also think of like Telex from Cuba, um, is another example of this from off the top of my head, where it's this sort of like sweeping historical story, um, that just always leaves me at a little bit of a distance. And that's what ends up happening when I watch My Billion Friend, is that I always feel just a little distanced from the narrative, from the characters, um, and from the story. And part of this could just be a cultural aspect of it. Um, but other other things is just like, I never feel completely engaged by this kind of a narrative. And so I struggled in no small part to like kind of keep going um so that was sort of like where i ended up with like the first four episodes is that i was glad that we kind of grew up in episodes three and four literally um but it was still an issue of i don't know how much i can keep going with this and i went ahead and spoiled myself for what happens over the next couple of books and just went i don't know that i need to keep watching <laughs> um even though I do think there are plenty of like weighty themes and interesting ideas that are circulating in this, and based on what I've summaries I've read for the other novels that continue to percolate across all of this, all of the books that will be adapted, like I said, as part of like a thirteen 
the 32 episode miniseries. And at that point, I don't really mm-hmm. think it's a miniseries. Um, so, yeah, I think it's okay. And I think that of a particular sort of viewer that is interested in this, that this is definitely sort of your cup of tea. It is not my cup of tea. But I would like to know what the thing was that was kind of holding you. Okay, the first three episodes or four episodes, um, I think they're excellent performances by the various young actors playing Elena and Leela, Lino and Leela. Um, at the different ages there i mean i don't know the actual age of the actors but the teenaged ones look way too old for middle school and like just starting high school way too old um but they do a good they give good performances so i mean i know i get why they cast them um and the i particularly i really like the the little the young kids i thought they i mean it's a little one note but i mean that's to be expected from most child actors. I thought they did a good job. Uh, the trouble is this, you know, I think it goes to what you were saying about the tone of the show and the feel of the show. It's gorgeous to look at really well shot. Um, but it also feels like the kind of show where I'm waiting to see who's getting raped. And then we find out who's getting raped in, in episode was it three, the start of episode three, one of the other characters gets, yeah, sort of know, episode three. Some level yeah. of assaulted or raped off screen. And it's like, okay, now we get to wait to see which one of our two main leads this is going to happen. Like, it constantly, constantly was like, what level of violence is going to be inflicted on these young uh, girls or these characters so that they can learn the hardship of life? Uh, that was just omnipresent for me. Um, to the point where I guess spoiler when Leela gets thrown out the window, I'm like, oh, she only got thrown out a window this episode. I was waiting for her to be much more horribly, you know, beaten or harassed or or assaulted or something. Um, yeah, that lingers everywhere in this show. For don't me. don't watch the whatever adaptation of the second novel happens then. <laughs> yep, <laughs> just don't do right. it. Don't do it. Not surprised. <laughs> Well, because I just feel like, because they're so, especially like just the dynamic that we're presented, it's very much like the, this is the one who suffers and this is the one who learns from her friend's suffering, you know, kind of a thing. And it's just like, I don't, I don't need that at all. <laughs> and there wasn't enough other stuff that I did need to counterbalance that. If we had not been doing this for the spotlight segment, I would not have watched beyond like the first episode. And I did actually really appreciate, especially towards the end of the, the fourth episode. So I don't know that I wouldn't recommend that people watch it so that like sit, power through those first three episodes so they can get to the fourth episode. But um, I was more ha- having more fun with that one. At least I felt like there, it, there was more happening and it wasn't just like waiting for like, cause their lives are starting now. So it's not just waiting for their lives to start and seeing if they, you know, how, what level of unscathed they make it to young adulthood at. Um, but yeah, I just, I wanted to connect with this so much more than I did. Yeah. And I think that that's super fair is like, there is just generally sort of a sense of waiting across mm-hmm. like basically the first four episodes based, like you say, right until the end. Um, when, and the, the fourth episode is appropriately translated as dissolving boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because literally everything's sort of shifting um, and changing in a way that up, upends a part of the status quo of this um, sort of slumish neighborhood um, outside of Naples. 
and I'm not I'm not keen enough Italian historian, despite a little bit of background through film and Italian neorealism and that sort of culture, which this show takes place within roughly within that time period of Italian neorealism. Um, that's the extent of what I can tell you about Italian history at this time. <laughs> and so the the degree to which like you can get yourself out of this air uh, out of this kind of a slum through education is sort of like a universal sort of story i think but it's also it feels really grounded in this but we're waiting for it to happen so that they can start being actors with agency in their own narrative as opposed to having things happen around them as children which again is very purposeful from a storytelling perspective of these are the formative things that happen to them and also something really symbolic happens at the beginning that then ends the final novel um (laughs) because that's how these again that's how these sort of modern 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 literature stories in this vein really operate which is another reason i'm not like super keen on them and so i think that that's why the fourth episode is as successful as it is in terms of like getting us invested in wanting to watch more is that it's all right, everyone's coming aware. They're talking about communism and fascism and trying to figure out what all that means, but they're also trying to figure out what their education priorities are. They finally, One of them finally gets to see the water. Um, mm-hmm. All this kind of stuff, like things are changing. Boys are interested in them, including a boy that paid 10 lire to see her breasts. But, you know, whatever. It's fine. Um, it's not. Um, that no, entire scene not. was well, really uncomfortable. <laughs> well, and the the description afterwards of like, where she's talking about like channeling her friend, mm-hmm. and like, and then she, but then like, she she didn't. No, because her friend was completely not accurate at all. So I don't know if it's supposed to be unreliable narrator. I guess, yeah. but like, because then she goes and spends the money on a cookie that she can't afford. Like, she can't afford. She didn't like, ask that for is, the price of the cookie. <laughs> that is not at all what her friend would do. Like, if she took the money in pocket and was like, I'm building my way out of here, I was like, okay, she's learning lessons from her friend. Like, I yeah. get it. But that's not what happened. It yeah. was so uh Yeah. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be a slice of life. It's supposed to be, like, growing up. It's not supposed yeah. to be someone who's learning a lesson and taking a direct narrative like it's very lived in like that's what they're going for but it's just kind of us yelling at my tv which i guess means that i was invested i was like yeah what are you you are learning the wrong lessons <laughs> yeah so i do think that i mean we may be doing the show a little bit of a disservice having only watched oh, the first four we probably almost definitely are doing the show a disservice we're being way harsher than it needs. Like, it's just not for us. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what it boils down to is like, I mean, I knew this was based on a series of books um, that actually like friend of the show and friend of mine, Nick Campbell, has been slowly reading like the first one in the actual Italian. Um, mm-hmm. And like, it's only about halfway through um, because he will be the first to tell you that his... His reading Italian isn't super great on a literary level. It's fine for newspapers, but not necessarily for novels. Um, <laughs> better than my reading Italian. Yeah, no, that's what I tell him. It's just like, it's better than my ability to read in literally any foreign language, Nicholas. Um, <laughs> so so I think that there's there's a there's a good story here. There's a, there's a good narrative. And like, like you've said, 
there's a number of really good performances I also think in here. Like both of the actors playing the teenage versions of uh uh Leela and um Lenu are really, really good. Um the young actor for playing Leela is I think really phenomenal. Like she does a really good you're not messing with me stare for a young girl. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um I would not mess with her. I would not mess with that eight year old, nine year old child mm-hmm. at all. Um, so I think there's, there's good stuff in here, but I think that it's more to come, basically. Like, the back half, I think, will probably be significantly better than this first half in that now they're aware, legitimately aware and able to act about how really terrible this, uh, this mafia-affiliated family that basically runs their neighborhood is, um... I mean, they do start shooting at them from the rooftop on New Year's Eve because their fireworks were better than theirs. Mm -hmm. The degree of which of, like, we're getting here. So I think there's good stuff to come. But at the same time, to your point about, like, fears of violence and rape against women, don't keep watching. Yep. (laughs) Because... sounds about right. No, just don't. Um, Yeah. So, but if you are a fan of any of these kinds of narrative or these sort of uh, buildings Romana type of stories um, that can, I feel like, easily translate into something vaguely similar to like um, Once Upon a Time in America, Mm -hmm. um, minus like people getting involved in the mob. there's that element of it that I think will really come through for you. And I think that if you enjoy those kinds of narratives, then I think that this is something that will definitely appeal to you. Um, and if you're interested in what I assume will be an increasingly complicated and hopefully fascinating look at female friendships in very turbulent periods, I think that this is also something that will work. Um, just the first four episodes are not engaging on those levels because yeah. they can't be just yet. They're very base sort of driven type stuff. And as they get older, those things will mature and become more complicated. And that may be more interesting to both of us, maybe. But we would also both have to keep watching to find out. And that leads to sort of like the big question of, are you going to watch more of this? Probably not. Yeah. Especially now that I know not to watch the second season. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah. Uh, What about you? Um... I don't know. Maybe like I kind of want to see how at least this ends a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm at least interested in the performers enough to do it. But at the same time, Kate Terrace House drops new episodes on the 18th of November, and I'm going to be like super busy. <laughs> I've already started because we have our listening coming up, listeners. Mm-hmm. By the way, I will endeavor to actually have a copy of all the categories available this year. That was a request last year, and I didn't get it done. So that way you guys can make your picks and follow along okay. um, with our picks when it comes to the end of the year. But um, So I made my pre- like preliminary list of all the shows that I watched. How many were – you year. sent me a picture of. How many were on there? Uh, over 120. Okay. And then I also had this category over on the right. I don't know if you saw. Mm-hmm. Shows I haven't seen yet from okay. this last year. And those were shows that I felt bad that I hadn't – seen or hadn't finished um and there's like 30 on there so before i watch more of this i need to you know finish vita which i'm sure i will love (laughs) like some of these other shows but not but not sweet bitter kate 
No. I put Sweet Bitter on my list of things I had seen because I have seen enough of it to know what I think of it. So I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. No, but 120. How about you? Did have you started your, your – because you stay organized throughout the year, so you don't have this massive backlog like I do. Right. I mean, like, I'm not going to carve out time to watch anything that I haven't watched because I mm-hmm. legitimately don't have time. Yeah. Um So – but I've got about – I need to like go through my spreadsheet and make sure that I have all my shows. Um, mm-hmm. So it'll probably level out to about 95 to a hundred shows. Um, yeah. Cause right now it's at like 91, I think 90, 91. Um, so mm-hmm. I need to go through and make sure that like everything's on there. Um, mm-hmm. But I haven't like started making like a list uh, for the top 20 anyway, just yet. Um, in part because like I'm sort of dreading it. Um, because there's so many good shows this year. Whereas I feel like there are like a number of, there's only like a small handful of really good shows, I think. And then there's just a bunch of shows that I liked. Ah, see, we disagree then. For me, there's like a solid, there'll be like a handful that I love. Yeah. That'll be like the top five, but there is a solid 30, maybe more that I was like, oh, that was so good. Yeah. See, no, I can go through my spreadsheet and go. There's a lot of upper middle tier here, but there's very mm-hmm. few upper tier shows. And so mm-hmm. for me, so figuring that out is going to just be feel like a little bit of a chore, but I think I'm going to do that tomorrow. You know what might be the hardest is some of these musical categories, man, because there's a lot of things vying for musical moments. <laughs> and man. I'm glad that you're able to retain all of that stuff because I was keeping up with it for a little bit and then I moved and I have not touched it since like May and I am like, oh. See, this is part of my process. See, because when I write, when I go through the list of all the premieres all year and I write the ones that I watched and I go, oh, yeah. Oh, and this scene was so great. Yeah. And as I and I, oh, yeah, I've got to mention that somewhere. And like, we'll see. Listeners, more on this when we get to the end of December. Uh, but we've diver- digressed quite a bit. I think it shows where we're sort of at with this series as that we've pivoted to a completely different conversation. The last thing I want to touch on is I'm very curious what your experience was with this um, because I'm me. So I probably had a different one. But for me, I found the score lovely but very distracting. The score is by Max Richter, who people will know for, as being the composer for the Amer- for for the, for the leftovers. Right, and it's right, a right. very similar sound. Did you notice this? Did this like it? It like to the point where I was like, "Yep, she's in the pod." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, notice that it sounded similar to something I had watched recently, but I didn't know it was leftovers, and that explains mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, the score is kind of vaguely distracting, but it also is clearly feeling to be grounded in that again sort of modern epic feel and that only works so well mm-hmm. well again like i i've seen plenty of people talking about about this show and being really excited about the score and that's one where i'm like i want i bet this might just be a me thing because i just connect it so strongly with the leftovers it'd be like if uh, like when we started american gods right when we were watching american gods there were moments where i was like they're Brian Reitzel's doing the same kind of thing he did for Mizumono in this scene, and it is not appropriate yeah. for this scene. That is weird. Uh, that's sort of how I felt about this, but even maybe perhaps more so. I thought felt like the American Gods theme over, like scoring overall was more varied. Um, and I think this does work really. If I hadn't seen the leftovers, I probably would really like the score. Yeah, and like I said, I think it's of a piece with the show, but it also feels, it just reinforces, like, again, that sort of, like, modern prestigeness to it that mm-hmm. just, like, kind of turns me off a little bit. Yeah. Well, 
on that note, maybe watch the my, my brilliant friend. Maybe don't. We are very much, uh, yeah, not very helpful today. <laughs> Noel's gonna keep watching. I might. I probably won't. Um, but you know, it's it looks gorgeous. Good performances. I get why people like it. Yeah, I do too. It's just not for yeah. us. It's <laughs> not for us. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find us over on uh, iTunes with our M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can also find us in Stitcher and we'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. Uh, we always appreciate hearing from you guys. Um, and of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And again, everybody, knock on wood, wish me happy baking. Hopefully by this time next week, cookies are in process. And I won't even say done, but in process. I'm going to give you a Paul Hollywood stare and go, that's a shame. No. That's- <laughs> no, it won't work. After reading that ho- like toxic masculinity handshake thing. Over it. Over <laughs> that was a, that that was it. like legitimately the best thing I've read from The Ringer in forever. <laughs> and I don't say that lightly because The Ringer is not a good website. <laughs> <laughs> okay then. Well, on that note, thank you, Noel. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.